welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Jason Davis here, Soccer Morning Live on a Monday, WorldSoccerTalk.com. We are underway and back home. That's what I'm going to call it, back home. Uh, Friday's events in Baltimore were quite the thing. Very much uh, excited to have done those shows. Uh, thank you to, let me just go ahead and uh, turn that down. Uh, thank you to um, Jonathan Tannerwald from Philly.com who jumped on during the WorldSoccerTalk.com uh, show on Friday and uh, everybody who joined us to listen to the SiriusXM broadcast as well. It was a good time at the NSCAA convention in Baltimore. Saw a bunch of people that I uh, haven't seen in a while uh, met some new people, got a couple of scarves. In fact, I'm wearing one of them now. We've got uh, back here in this general area, trying to see the little screen and then point to the right place. It's like very much meteorology weather, reporting the weather. Albuquerque, Seoul, right here. Uh, that's a fantastic scarf that I was given by a gentleman named Ron, who uh, owns the Albuquerque Seoul. Thank you very much, Ron, for handing me that scarf on Friday. Also, uh, as part of the Sirius XM show, I interviewed... Tom Framka, who's the man behind Kick ALS, uh, the um, awareness campaign for Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS, whatever you want to call it. Um, I have a scarf now that says Kick ALS, and uh, as I was telling Tom on Friday on SiriusXM, my grandfather passed away uh, as a result of ALS, so this is definitely a um, uh, a cause near and dear to my heart. So there you go, Red Card ALS on Twitter if you want to follow them and help out with the awareness campaign. Uh, let's move into the news ahead of a uh, fantastic guest. Christian Hennage joins us today to talk uh, mostly European football, mostly English football. I imagine we'll get into some stuff with Christian here coming up in just a couple of minutes. But let's do the news. As I said, scans on Lionel Messi's hamstring called, quote-unquote, great news by Barcelona manager uh, Luis Enrique. He says that he took off Messi as a precaution at halftime of Barcelona's 6 nothing win over Athletic Bilbao. On the weekend, Gareth Bale also coming off, uh, speaking of Spanish football, in Real Madrid's 5-1 win over Sporting Gijón. So that's um, a concern for, for Real Madrid. They have scans scheduled on Bale tomorrow. Why not today? I'm not sure. Uh, but we'll keep a close eye on the situation there with Real Madrid and Gareth Bale's injury. In England, Manchester United wins one nothing over Liverpool. Obviously a big, uh, big win for Manchester United. A goal from Wayne Rooney. And now Louis Van Hall is saying stuff like, yeah, we're still in the title race. So make of that what you will. Uh, I understand why Louis Van Hall has to project that image for a club like Manchester United, but seven points off the pace right now uh, with Arsenal top of the table. Speaking of Arsenal, they end up with a goalless draw against Stoke. Not exactly what... Uh, what they want to see out of uh, out of a game against Stoke City, and uh, but that does keep them again top of the table because Leicester uh, let their opportunity uh, pass them by as they get a one-one draw with strugglers Aston Villa. So, man, uh, Arsenal top of the table on goal differential, forty-four points over Leicester City. Manchester City, who got a big win uh, this weekend over Crystal Palace for nothing, is in second on forty-three points. Tottenham. 39 points um, uh, in fourth place and uh, they're four, four one winners on the weekend over Sunderland and then Manchester United down in fifth again one one nothing winners over uh, over Liverpool all right so uh, also uh, in the uh, Premier League you have John Terry scoring a let late set piece goal in which he was clearly offside to help Chelsea salvage a point against Everton 3-3 uh, in in that game uh, for Chelsea and Everton and there at Stamford Bridge. Uh, in Germany, this is the story that we're all paying attention to on this side of the pond when it comes to German football, and it is Jordan Morris and his uh, sojourn at Werder Bremen. Uh, there are reports now, and this is from uh, Sounder at Heart, uh, who is parsing this news, uh, that the club is ready to offer Jordan Morris a contract. Sporting director Thomas Eichen has said they have uh, confirmed they have confirmed in training camp what we have seen of them in advance. They fit into the scheme. The two will do us good. He did emphasize that he would not expect too much from either of these players. And the other player in question, by the way, is um, uh, Laszlo Kleinheisler, a Hungarian 21-year-old who's also a target of, of Werder Bremen. So 
Now, not only has this gone to, oh, he's just going to go check it out, see how it goes. Maybe he'll like German football. Maybe he'll find an opportunity there. It's now to the point where there's a talk. There, there's some significant talk of a, of a contract offer from Werder Bremen for Jordan Morris. This is uh, worth watching. Also in Sounders land, Nelson Valdez has had to shoot down many a rumor, uh, linking him with a, uh, a return to Colombia. Uh, Valdez taking to uh, to Twitter and various uh, places to say he is not going anywhere. Um, this uh, this is also from Sounder at Heart. There may be valid reasons to move Valdez. If the team if if a team hits a decent number on the buyout, it would open up a DP slot. And the associated cap space, Seattle could use that in part on the field where it does not have its two best players and its three best prospects. And that's, um, not, not including Jordan Morris. So, uh, we will, uh, continue to watch that story as well as there could be a domino effect there in Sounderland when it comes to the situation with Nelson Valdez. Paulo Dybala scores twice to help, uh, to help Juve, excuse me. To a win over Udinese in Italy. Uh, haven't checked in on the uh, Serie A standings in a while. Thought that would be a good, uh, good opportunity to do it today, especially with Juve with that win. Now two points back of Napoli in Italy. Uh, things are getting a little tight there. Always fun to see the Italian race uh, have um, have a couple of contenders. Napoli three one winners over Sassuolo this weekend. Torino four two over Frosinone, and uh, I think that's how you say that. I have no idea. Trevor, you can correct me. Uh, Atalanta one nothing over or one one with Inter, excuse me, uh, in Italy as well. And uh, just to, to round this out, let me see. Uh, Genoa four four nothing winners over Palermo. Roma one one with Hellas Verona. Uh, Bologna two two with Lazio. Uh, Chievo Verona one one with Empoli. Uh, and AC Milan two nothing winners over Fiorentina. All right, there you go. That's a good roundup of Italian football. Now it's time to take a break, and we'll come back. Christian Hennage will join us. We'll talk to him about. The Premier League race as it sits. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. All right, we're back on a Monday edition of Soccer Morning here on WorldSoccerTalk.com, and we're happy to be joined on the phone by our friend Christian Hennage from over in uh, England across the pond, where I imagine it's um, it's brisk. Is it? it it's, is it? What, what exactly is the rainy season in England, Christian? Because I'm never clear about this. Well, it starts on January 1st, <laughs> and it ends on December 31st. <laughs> well, there you go. All right. So, uh, so it, it, it's always, it's not, it's not always cold necessarily, but it's certainly always, uh, always wet. It, it is, it is cold and wet in a lot of places, um, right now. Uh, but we do have a, a Premier League season that's delivering a, a little bit of intrigue. Christian, and, and correct me if I'm wrong on the, on the sense right here. And this changes week to week for me. I'll admit to that. But it definitely seems like this is one of those campaigns where at least um, January, tw- January 18th, no one seems to want to grab this thing quite yet. Certainly, there's no runaway leader. You're, you're not tipping a, a team for the title at this point this season because, as you say, there's no consistency to the league. It is, it's consistently inconsistent, um, to use an oxymoron of sorts. And, and that makes it a lot more interesting because normally we do have a favourite by this point. Normally the team that started the strongest maybe is faded away. Arsenal are probably a few places lower than they are at this present moment and, and trying to mount something. But I think if you mix in the top three, I wouldn't go and say Leicester is definitely in there, in second place. You've got teams that could potentially win it. And, and the fact that Leicester are kind of nestled in there beautifully with, with Claudio Ranieri and, and everything that was expected of him when he arrived. It's actually making for one of the more exciting seasons in the Premier League, at least in recent memory, um, because normally you're starting to look at the relegation fight for, for something to find interesting. Yeah, uh, we uh, yeah that, that is typically the case. So now we've, we've got a, a real title race. Uh, both Arsenal and Leicester on 44 points. Of course, the Gunners leading the way on, on their goal differential 
uh, Christian, and, and, and they end up with um, they end up with a sort of a disappointing draw. Certainly, when they don't score, when, when Arsenal doesn't score, it's a little bit more remarkable, I suppose, than, than when a, a lot of te- a lot of other teams don't score. The top teams have to get goals, especially against uh, against that kind of opposition. I'm not sure if I subscribe to that. I, th- I think <clears throat> again, since since Ryan Shawcross came back to the Stoke lineup, they've been much more defensively sound. Okay, they've conceded a lot less. And they look a much firmer team. And I think the the attacking talent that, that Stoke has, the likes of Arnautovic, Bozan, etc., they've been able to play almost with more freedom because they know they've got that strength behind them in the, the centre of defence. You then also add to that the fact that Arsenal are missing some key players. You've got Sanchez, you've also got Ozil, who, again, is, is very much the, the fulcrum of their attack, the person that, that opens space for them. It was difficult. I think what you saw is something that I imagine Arsenal Wenger knew kind of going into this game is that depth-wise, they're not the strongest Arsenal. The likes of, of Campbell and Chamberlain, Campbell less so, but more so Chamberlain. I, I personally think he's not got much end product here. And there's a lot of running, but not much actually produced in the final third. And certainly, while I'm sure that, that Wenger was disappointed not to pick up three points, I think he will also admit that, that a draw away to, to Stoke City it's not a terrible result. It, it sure. keeps them on track, at least. Uh, oh, so so you do have um, some silver lining there for Arsenal, as as you mentioned. Uh, certainly, certainly away from home, and again, unpredictable season. Meanwhile, Leicester also away from home, but against uh, a team like Aston Villa, th- there will be disappointment that they end o- only end up with a point out of that game. Exactly, that's a, a completely different picture in the sense that. Yes, Villa have, have struggled this season. I think they've picked up lately. They they themselves seem to have gained some confidence from, from the victory last week and then also some of the results that they're getting. But Leicester had more than enough chances. The the penalty from Riyad Mahrez is the second one he missed in days, which is, is a concern if I'm Claudio Ranieri. For them, I think it, it's about maintaining their consistency now because, again, you're starting to see just a little bit, I think, of of the pressure creep into their play. Jamie Vardy isn't looking as confident when he's attacking the ball. Riyad Mahrez isn't influencing things in the same way that he normally is. Yes, they're, they're still able to, to score goals as they did against Villa, but that's a, a game where you think you really have to win that because I think as we look at Villa this season, when they concede, they do tend to crumble. It's very rare that they've been able to, to come back. In fact, it's only really a, a recent thing. So, for Leicester, that's a disappointing result because, again, it's an opportunity to just put a little bit more pressure on Arsenal and vault a few points above them. Yeah, I mean, and you and I have talked about it. We talked about I've talked about it several times with with various people um, in England that, that there 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 was going to at least be some distraction from the speculation that Vardy or Mares could be on the uh, um, could could be um, available for the right price because a club like Leicester certainly can't turn down. Uh, an immense offer for either of those players. Now, it looks like they're going to stay. I'm not positive until the window closes that they're going to stay in this window, um, Kristen. So it, do you think that there's anything to the distractionary element of it? Very little. I think the, the, the greater issue for Leicester right now is the pressure in the sense that they arrived at the start of this season with everybody thinking that they and Claudio Ranieri would be a tire fire that there was potential they could get relegated, that their manager had just come from a job with Greece where he'd struggled. And everyone kind of forgot what Ranieri had done before at Monaco, at Inter, at Valencia, and that actually he'd started really well in, in his first season consistently at those clubs and then had got Monaco promoted, for example. So there wasn't any pressure. In fact, there was an immense freedom placed on Leicester to play their game and, and shock people and surprise people. And now people are looking at them much more differently. They're looking at them as a team that in many ways are expected to make the Champions League, largely because of stats and history and the fact that no team in their position had finished lower than, than fourth by the end of the season. That's what I think is influencing them far more, is that maybe once where they were underestimated or, or thought less of, now they're almost expected to dictate games. Now they're expected to lead things. And that's not really a position I think Leicester are, are comfortable with. I think if you watch much of their kind of rise to the position they're in. It was, it was founded on counter-attacking play, on being able to expose the opposition's eagerness to push forward. Uh, you, you mentioned it. I'll do it here, although I certainly could take the, the entire relegation picture together, and, and maybe we'll come to that. Uh, but certainly for Villa, 
a point against Leicester is is a good point, regardless of where, where it comes. And again, you mentioned last week's last week's win. They're only their second of the year and their first since the opening weekend of the season. Um, are they going to be able to scramble together enough points to really make this interesting? They're still six back of, of Sunderland in nineteenth. I personally don't think so. I think it's essentially planning for the championship at this point. The, the gap is going to be significant if they're going to keep, because what you've got to think is it's, it's not necessarily clawing the gap back only. You've then got to keep winning to keep up with the others who are also going to pick up points. And, and that gap alone for me, it, it's too big for Villa. I think the, the problems they have are essentially multifaceted in, in that they're not the greatest team. Certainly there are individuals that I think will do well. There are individuals that will likely stay in the Premier League. When that unit comes together, though, there's just not that potency. There's also not that clinical nature in the final third, which is, again, vital and one of the reasons that these teams are where they are. I just can't see them managing to, to bridge that gap. I think it's just one step too far for them. Uh, let's come to let's come to Manchester City before I get to United, uh, Kristen. So Manchester City to me, what's odd to me, and I, I don't know that this is the sense in England, um, and, and it, it may not even be the sense among the Premier League watchers in this country. But for me, it seems as though somehow, some way, because of what Leicester has done, because Arsenal is at the top, and and there's certainly a big club drawing attention and haven't won a title in in a number of years. Because Manchester United is struggling and Louis van Gaal is such a forlorn figure these days, it almost seems like City is is flying below the radar. Is that is that is that fair? I think I think so to a degree. They they were impressive again against Crystal Palace. I mean, in fairness, Palace are in atrocious form at the They haven't scored in five. With that said, I thought they put them to the sole expertly, and, and and a lot of people aren't really talking about them in this title race. It's, it's largely being can Leicester or Arsenal do it? And in many ways, I think that's when you, you get City at their best, is when you underestimate them and almost remove them from the conversation. They've arguably got the most talented squad. They've arguably got the, the best collection of players that I think are the most cohesive unit of that top four or five. That, for me, will, will likely define how this season plays out. And, and if I was tipping a team for the, the title now, I, I think it'll be City, personally. I, I think, yes, they've got uh, Europe to contend with as well. That won't be easy to manage those two situations. I still think that, that when you get them on their day, no one can can catch them in this league. Not even Arsenal. Yeah, there's there the, and there's such an, a fascinating team with not just uh, the expectations, not just their struggles in Europe in 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 a counter to to what they've done in the league the last couple of seasons. But the, the the personalities involved. I mean, certainly the you know the the constant speculation that you know Pep Guardiola is going to show up um, uh, next season and, and take over, making you know uh, making a very uh, a lame duck situation for Pellegrini. I, I it's it's so odd, Kristen. It is, and and in many ways, I'm I'm not too fond of the way that Pep Guardiola's handled that. What I would say, if, if, if I'm Manuel Pellegrini and I'm looking to assess the situation, is you've got a real chance now to go out on a high. You, if you believe that he will take over and that you've got, I don't know, say four or five months left in the helm, you've still got an opportunity to win the, the Premier League. If you want to be incredibly ambitious, you've got a chance to win the Champions League. Take those last five months as a chance to sign off on a, on a high and, and potentially cement your own legacy at the football club earning yourself a, a very good next job in the process. I know <clears throat> he's been mooted as a potential candidate for Chile. That's something fun to consider, at least. I just think that you, you have to take the positive from it and you have to focus on the fact that you, you've still got opportunities to win things and, and opportunities to leave a legacy. As frustrating as it is to, to know that you're likely gone in the summer anyway. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, it's it's interesting. I mean, okay, so maybe, maybe Chile is a nice uh, landing spot, soft landing spot back at home, but... And maybe it's his age, uh, Christian, but he doesn't seem like, like, like there are certainly managers in the world, whether they're successful and, and have much of a pedigree or not, who, who, given the, 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 given a hint that they could be gone, regardless of how well they do, given a hint that they're going to be replaced by the, 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 the next big thing, the, the, the most, uh, 
you know, the biggest star manager in the world right now in Pep Guardiola would sort of take the bull by the horns, to use a cliche, be, be, you know, sort of steal themselves and, and go after it, as you said, be aggressive. And, and meanwhile, Manuel Pellegrini looks like a sad puppy dog. And I'm not sure that, that fits. What I would say is he's someone that is, is very, Calm and composed. There's that's that's what story it is. That Diego, and maybe it's unfair well, of me then. I was going to say that <clears throat> there's a story that Diego Forlan tells, and he says, you know, Villarreal, they used to call him the engineer because he was very relaxed. He could see the bigger picture. He was very uh, personable, and and he talks about that if he would leave you out of the team and call you into his office, and by the time you left the office, you would agree with him that it was a fair choice to, to leave you out of the team. <laughs> For that reason alone, I think he understands the situation and he understands the profession he's in. But change is inevitable. It's also usually quite brash. It's also quite um, unforgiving. And that maybe the time is, is right for him to switch on as well and, and, and move to a different project. Because again, you know, he's, he's been there since, since 2013. Yes, he, he hasn't maybe had the, the five years that he was promised to, to win those five trophies. I still think he's done a, a solid job. If anything, I think he's enhanced his, his reputation. He's potentially going to have two Premier League titles by the time he's done mm-hmm. in the, the kind of three-year spell. He'll have a League Cup in there as well. He'll have arguably advanced them into the, the Champions League if they can have a decent run this time. And his, his win percentage is, is kind of just over 63%. So there's a lot of positive to be taken from that. I think... Perhaps if he was struggling, then he might be more frustrated because he would want the opportunity to turn it around. But if you're leaving on a high, I think you have to, to look almost further down the road and say, you know what, this this will actually help me secure a good next job, which is, is something I think managers sometimes forget when they're, they're dismissed. Yeah, as you said, as you said the, the, the nature of the beast these days with the, uh, the, the elite clubs, the richest clubs... They're going to turn over a couple of different managers, and, and Pellegrini. there's not much Pellegrini can do if Guardiola is interested in the city job. City's owners have already proven themselves to be the type that go chase that next sexiest thing. Uh, in this case, I guess that's Guardiola. Uh, let's come to Manchester United. They uh, they get a 1-0 one, one, one win over, over Liverpool. Uh, Van Hall in the aftermath is saying, well, first the, the performance, Christian, then we'll get to Van Hall's comments. The performance was okay. I, I don't think it was perhaps the level of, of Manchester United that we've come to expect. I mean, we also have to acknowledge that it's a derby game and, and sometimes they can descend into much more rudimentary football anyway. Rooney, uh, I thought, managed to, to influence things in a, <clears throat> in a positive way. I think I think what we're seeing with him is we're seeing a player that at one time or another we couldn't define his position because he had so many options. He could play left, he could arguably play right, play off the striker, or you could put him in a, a central number nine role and have him parole the, patrol the, the penalty area. What we're seeing now is a player that has a very defined position, and I think he, to a degree, is struggling with that. I think those kind of observing him are also struggling to see that. Is that for me, what you'll do best with him now is, is have him off a striker, picking passes, playing in a slightly deeper role where he can find a little bit of space, where he can orchestrate things in the way that he used to do when he would drop deep for Manchester United. I'm not sure if he's that, that leading line striker anymore. I don't think he's mobile enough. I don't think he's comfortable carrying the ball in the way that he once was and it it just breeds problems you look at his, his goals of late I think he's got five now in his, his last four three of them have come from the penalty spot or a set piece so again he's not influencing things consistently in, in open play as he once did so you have to ask well what's the best position to put him in for me it's, it's that number 10 role sitting off a striker perhaps someone like Martial uh, so uh, Louis Van Hall says, uh, you know, we're still in this. We're still, uh, we still have a shout for the title. I, I, it's seven points now. I, I suppose that's not insurmountable. Um, it's obviously going to require several teams to sort of fail in front of them. Uh, do you buy it, or is this uh, a little bit of bluster from a manager who's had a rough go in terms of, of, of keeping confidence up within his squad? No, I think I think he believes it. Whether I agree with him is a, is a different matter entirely. Personally, I don't. I think they're, they're far too inconsistent. They're not dominating games enough. And when you see them attacked by an opponent, they look incredibly weak. Uh, the, the midweek game against Newcastle, I was, was fortunate enough to, to be at the stadium. 
they could have very easily lost that game. They could also very easily won that game. And I think when you have such a, a large swing in a game like that against the team that are in the relegation zone, it tells you about greater problems, which is that actually Manchester United can be got at. And Wolfsburg have showed it. I think Bournemouth have showed it. Teams that attack Manchester United inevitably do damage. And for a team that holds title aspirations, for a team that you're potentially discussing as a title winner, I can't think of many, if any, that have, have had that trait nestled in inside them. And in fact, if anything, they've usually been able to, to control games and kill games off quite easily, which I haven't seen Manchester United do much yeah. this season. Is there is there another adjustment to be made? I mean, is there something that you don't that you think Van Hall is missing? Because you know, obviously, we're 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 all sitting back watching this thing unfold. And a lot of the criticism is it even when he wins or even when he gets points towards whatever goals they have at this point in the season. And, and for Van Hall, I guess it's the title. He's still being criticized because of how they're playing, Kristen. Well, I think he's being criticized in how they're playing because. They're not dominating games, and, and and he seems to take this kind of pleasure in the the success if they win, and and not looking actually at how they're doing. And I think you have to do that. You you have to evaluate not only the result from the game, but how you achieved that result. Was it done in a a way that suggested you dominated and controlled things? If so, that's great because it it's something you can take forward. If it's something that's founded in fortune and and a lucky bounce you have to be a little bit concerned because those bounces won't always fall for you. And what I think is the case with Van Harlen is that, again, it's it's the weird tactical decisions, the, the persistence with Marouane Fellaini in the centre of midfield. Essentially, for me, he is a bit like Rooney in the centre. I think he operates best in an attacking midfield role off a striker. The problem you have in nestled within that is that I don't see him fitting the Manchester United style of play. He, he works best when you want a quick transition and you want to you know, hit the ball up to the final third quickly. Manchester United aren't really that interested in doing that. I think they're much better suited to playing it through midfield, through the team. And it almost negates his, his involvement. If you're going to keep him as a bench option, that's an awfully expensive bench option to have. Um, and so the fact that he's, he's even given an opportunity in the heart of the midfield given that he doesn't have a range of passing, given that he's not the best defensively, I just don't understand it personally. Because again, they've invested a lot in central midfielders during the summer anyway. And it's decisions like that. It's, it's their inability to not only dominate the ball, but be really penetrative with it. It's, it's a lot of... It feels like watching a, a bad basketball match at times. They're kind of passing it around the perimeter a lot. They're, they're not actually driving inside. And the fact that they couldn't cut teams open... This, this kind of last week, you look at uh, Liverpool, you then look at Newcastle as well. That's a concern. Um, it's something that I think he'd need to build on, but it, it involves a, a change of pace, and a change of pace I don't think he wants to instigate. Mm. Uh, let, let me come to, to Chelsea. They end up with a uh, a 3-3 draw against Everton, a, a game salvaged by John Terry with a late equaliser. Um, it, there were There were obviously some controversial elements to that as well. Uh, you know, give me a sense of, of, how, of what you make of Chelsea since the change, since Hitting came in. I, I don't know that anybody thinks they're in danger of being relegated at this point, but they're clearly not going to go charging up the table and, and you know, claim a Champions League spot. So, so what kind of team are Chelsea right now? I think they're a team that are floundering, admittedly not to the point of relegation, but they are struggling at Part of it is they haven't addressed a lot of the issues that, that came to the fore at the start of the season. You could argue they haven't had much opportunity, but the problem is that it's a team lacking balance, really. Chef Fabregas doesn't really want to defend. I think they're also slightly in transition in the sense that, for me, John Terry can't consistently start for this team anymore. He's not the defender that he once was. Um, and, and it's about how, how well do you prepare yourself for the, the next chapter of your football club? They haven't done that. And partly that is because they had Jose Mourinho at their helm. I think it's easy to, to beat him with a stick and, and blame him for everything. What we can say is that throughout his managerial career, he's very rarely built for the future. It's always been about instant gratification. What can I win in the first two years? What can I do right now, right here? And that's been a detriment to, to young players' advancement. And 
none more has been that the case than, than at Chelsea. They, they've got a wealth of talented youngsters, some 30 that are out on loan across Europe. I haven't seen enough of them integrated during his time in the club. We're starting to see it a little bit more now. You've seen Kennedy come in, you've seen Loftus-Cheek. You need that consistently, though, and the, the difficulty you have is that doing that, there's going to be good days and bad days. There will be moments where these players thrive and they take the club forward. There will also be moments where perhaps you lose or you draw and you struggle at home. I'm not sure if, if Chelsea, as a football club and, and their fans as well, have the patience for that. It, it's going to be a bumpy ride if, if you actually want genuine change and actually want to... to progress the club in, in a way that doesn't involve spending six-figure sums. Obviously, it says a lot that, you know, getting a, 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 a getting a, a draw with Everton at home, having gone down 2-0 in that match, is something to be excited about for Chelsea. That's it's quite the drop from, you know, from winning an, a Premier League title last year. And then you mentioned patience. I think the number one person where we we would be interested in his patience is, is Roman Abramovich. How long is he? What what is his what is his what are his actions going to be when the season closes and and Chelsea is having finished you know mid table? Surprise, I would imagine is is a good portion of it. What he what he can say though, if, if he looks at himself honestly in the mirror, is that their summer wasn't good enough. The players they bought. I personally think didn't really fit the brief. If you look at the, the season prior to that when they won the league, their business was done quickly, it was done efficiently, and it addressed problems in the squad that had arisen in the sense that the, I think the marquee signing for that summer was Seth Fabregas, someone who could dictate the play. You look again, the, the summer just gone, they brought Baba Rahman in very late in the window when they realised actually they, they needed uh, a, a full-back option because Branislav Ivanovic wasn't looking at the level he needed. You had uh, Papa Djibodi of, of Nantes, who just seemed an incredibly bizarre and, and rare signing. Michael Hector, another one who was on loan at Reading, again, didn't really understand how that was supposed to address the defensive options because he wasn't going to be ready to come in and do a job instantly. And then Radamel Falcao, this, this pet project of sorts that really was going to need a, a sharp upturn or a drastic tactical change from Chelsea to actually work at that football club. And unfortunately for, for Falcao, neither has arrived, meaning that they're relying on Diego Costa and, and like Remy to do something. And the fact that Costa's had struggles, the fact that, that Remy's not been able to build up a consistency in the first team means that they've, they've ultimately struggled to score goals. A couple of, um, of connections um, for both of those teams, actually, to, to MLS rumors swirling. Uh, we we let's. I guess at this point we still don't know what's happening with the Didier Drogba situation, Christian. No, it, it's it's an, an awkward one in that sense. Uh, Bob Williams of the Telegraph managed to to catch Drogba at an NBA event in London, and he essentially just didn't answer the question, which I, I can completely understand him sure. him doing. Yeah. The difficulty I think he and, and Montreal have at the moment is, and maybe I'm being slightly principled. If he does leave, I think it's a a really poor reflection on him because he agreed to this contract and I think he should see it out. And, and I personally don't see the benefit of him jumping on the coaching staff at Chelsea right now. I, I don't think he's yeah. going to change anything drastically right. because a lot of the players that are playing for this football club now didn't really form a bond with him. He was there very briefly. This is not the heart of the squad that he left um, to to go to, to China and Galatasaray and etc., so, again, I don't see that, that no. uh, benefit. Equally for Montreal, it's a massive component of their squad. He, he, you really can't understate the influence he had in, in driving them forward and giving them a, a pinnacle of the attack or a head of the attack, if mm -hmm. you will. Trying to replace that on short-term notice is going to be very difficult because how much time have you realistically got to scout them, form a deal, get them to kind of negotiate and accept it? It would be... A big blow for Montreal and yes. their plans yeah. Maro Biello. Yeah, yeah, no focal point, and he, he he's got that gravity about him. He's drawing attention from defenders, which opens up anyway. It's a whole thing for Montreal. Um, a, a player formerly of Chelsea, no longer of Chelsea, but rumored to be making the MLS move. He's Ashley Cole. I guess we're pretty close now that there's been a buyout. Yeah, well, I, I broke this story a, a few weeks ago. I was was given a tip. Uh, by someone that, that he'd agreed to, to join the Galaxy. The problem was is that essentially he had to agree his release from Roma, which, as I'm sure anyone who's who knows kind of 
football contracts, they are notoriously complex things. There's image rights, there's all these little things that, that you don't think about um, with a footballer. He has finally been able to, to tie most of those loose ends up in, in Rome to the point where he can then move to the Galaxy. And it's it's another veteran signing for them. They've got Jeff Lorenz, they've got Mike McGee. They've agreed a deal with, with Yellow Van Damme, according to the Belgian press. They're looking at Nigel de Jong as well. Yep. Bruce Arena is clearly adding experience um, to this uh, to this group. And you question whether it's, it's almost too much experience, which sounds a bizarre thing to say. But what I mean by that is, there's too much in these legs. This is a very physical and fast league, Major League Soccer. Um, I joked with, with some colleagues at the time, I'll be very interested to see how Ashley Colhart and Sabian Castillo, if the two come up against each other, because he will be trying to catch chickens that day if he does. Yeah. Because Castillo is, is incredibly fast. And, and again, even with the midfield, again, I see why you bring Nigel De Jong in. It adds a little bit of steel in there. It's a defensive midfield option that maybe protects the back line a little better. It doesn't have much mobility, though, when you, you put him alongside Steven Gerrard, who, again, did look relatively uh, lacking in, in that department during his first season. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's odd on its face. I, I'm coming around to the notion that it's, it's more about the Champions League than it is going for another MLS Cup title. Um, if that's the mandate from the club, I mean, that's the only thing I can, I can, I can get to, with Bruce Arena not being necessarily the guy that... That goes, you know, he 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 may be open if the club wants to go sign Steven Gerrard, but I don't think that this program with these names makes a lot of sense from a Bruce Arena perspective. It's not this is not his track record. His track record is signing the Mike McGee and the Jeff Lorenowitz, but only for a depth role or only for a reclamation project for one or two spots. I, I'm I was very confused. I do think this is about the Champions League. It, it, that's the only thing that can make sense to me. I think that does make a lot of sense. I think what you would say is, regardless of the competition, there's not a, a giant amount of balance in that team, in the sense that if you look at the signings they're making, largely veteran guys, largely experienced guys, a good number, close to 30 or, or past 30. You've then got at the other end of that scale the players of, of Lost O, Sally Galaxy 2, who are incredibly young, who lack that experience. I would want some more players slapped in the middle of that who were kind of above 22, but below 30. Yeah. It could work perfectly. There's every chance it could. We've seen it happen in, in football. My concern would be that you haven't got enough of those mid-range guys who were essentially right on the cusp of their peak as players. It, it could be terrible. It, it could be brilliant. A lot of people I'm seeing who are for this idea keep reminding us that, that Bruce Arena knows what he's doing. And having been lucky enough to speak to Bruce on occasion, if there's anyone I think can do it, it's Bruce Arena. Let's yeah. put it that way. It, it does seem as though he's making this. The degree of difficulty for 2016 for the LA Galaxy is going to be very high, uh, despite all that experience. Uh, again, and the last, uh, the last rumor I want to address, Christian. I don't know if you have any insight on this, but certainly from an Everton perspective, I'd be curious. Uh, you know, from an English perspective, considering Everton's situation, I'd be con- uh, curious to get your perspective on. What uh, what you make of the reports that the Rapids, or anybody in MLS for that matter, but it's the Rapids because of their place at the top of the allocation order, are perhaps chasing Tim Howard. And is it time for Tim to consider the move back to MLS? I don't think it would be a terrible idea. If I was perhaps a, his agent or something like that, with all due respect to, to Colorado, I'd be trying to put him in a bigger market, in a bigger franchise. Um, Colorado, for me... They're chronically mismanaged. I think they've had a lot of young talent. They've had the likes of Shane O'Neill, even Dylan Powers. I don't think they've used them as good as they could have. And again, signing a veteran goalkeeper, that certainly gives you leadership. It gives you experience in the dressing room. I'm not sure if it influences things enough on the field. That's my concern. Is that, yes, he may save you points, as we said that Petr Cech would do when he joined Arsenal. In terms of the... The forward line scoring goals, I'm not too sure. Colorado were a tough watch last season, I thought, when I managed to, to catch them. It wasn't something I enjoyed doing. And Again, they've tried to inject a bit of youth with Azira and, and Pfeffer of, of the Union. I just think they need a little bit more kind of creativity in midfield. Marco Papa, who they got from Sounders, is a little bit hit and miss for me. 
And equally, I quite like Clint Irwin. <laughs> um, I, I would feel sorry for him if he lost that job. And, and certainly it's a statement signing. It's one that, that maybe will sell shirts. We'll get the club talked about. As for Tim Howard, I'm sure he thinks he can still cut it in, in Europe. So, yeah. you know, you want to challenge yourself on the best stage. Why would you, you cut that short? Yeah. I, I don't think it's in his best interest to come back just yet, personally. It, it, it's a, it, yeah, it, it's a difficult time. I mean, lots of pressure on him at Everton. Lots of questions about his... Uh, his starting position there, a relatively strong backing from Roberto Martinez, but at the same time, you know it's probably better to make that move before everything falls apart at Everton than than when it finally does. Um, Christian Hennage joining us. Excuse me, <clears throat> my voice does not want to work. Christian Hennage joining us on a Monday here on Soccer Morning. Thank you very much, Christian. A good insight and uh, have a good uh, have a good week. And I'm sure we'll talk to you soon. And see you, mate. Hope you speak to Christian, good stuff from him as always. I have failed at, at, at all points today to mention that it is Martin Luther King Day out there. I'm sure some of you are off today. We will have the phone lines open momentarily. So if you are off, it's now time to call 646-832-3909. We'll get those fired up here in just a second on Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Back on Soccer Morning, Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday or day. It's not his birthday, actually. It's the day we celebrate him, which means you might be off from work today as part of that celebration. Uh, please, please educate your kids, by the way. Please give them a full background uh, on, on what Martin Luther King Jr. did for this country. Uh, how important he was, kind of figure he was, the tragedy of his death. Please do that. That that's a good thing to do today. Uh, you can talk about we can talk about soccer here for the next couple of minutes. But when you're done with that, if you have your kids around, please educate them as much as they. I'm sure they'll get something at school, but you know, fill in the gaps. All right, six four six eight three two thirty nine zero nine is the phone number. Ah oh, man, we got some stuff here. We've got the Premier League and the state of that league, certainly. We've got the, the injury to Lionel Messi, the injury to Gareth Bale. We've got Jordan Morris and what looks to be a real choice coming up as to whether or not he's going to sign his homegrown contract with the Seattle Sounders or take a chance and side with Werder Bremen in Germany. It's, it's looking like there's going to be a real, real tough choice coming up for Jordan Morris. And I'd be curious to know from you, the American soccer public, which way you think he should go. Now, put yourself in his shoes because there is no other way to do this question. You can't, we can't decide for Jordan Morris. He has to do what's best for him. But if you were making the choice, what would you do? Now, remember, there's a sizable contract in Seattle. It's comfortable. It's home. It's, uh, it's, there's no culture shock coming. Maybe Jordan Morris is the kind of kid, the kind of person who can adjust very quickly to a new culture. Some of us are better at that than others. Not everybody's Landon Donovan. Some people can just walk right in, you know, maybe even not knowing the language and, and be at ease or be able to play soccer at least. Also, I, I, I think we need to really address the continuing issue of the LA Galaxy and what they're trying to do. What, uh, how much of this is Bruce Arena? How much of this is Chris Klein? How much of this is directed from the top? by AEG Brass, and how much of it is a focus on the Champions League. I, I, To me, that's the again, that's the only thing that makes sense. The only way I can rationalize the moves that the LA Galaxy are making, and we, we've heard again that it's very close to Ashley Cole signing with the club. We already know about the Nigel DeYoung rumors. That's not done yet, but, but it's still out there. We already, you know, look, Steven Gerrard's in that team. They're signing some some older veteran players. Even within MLS, the moves that they've made are older veteran players. Jeff Lorenowitz, Mike McGee came up in that last discussion with Christian Hennage. This is the way that they are going. 
I think that it looks like a Champions League chase. Now, what that means come summertime, I don't know. What that means come the end of that Champions League run, wherever it ends. And really, I guess the way to go is if you want to take on a Champions League challenge, I guess the way to go is to get guys who have been through that ringer before. Ashley Cole's been there. Nigel DeYoung's been there. Steven Gerrard has been there. You know these guys can handle the pressure of a Champions League. And, and yeah, the, the, cha- the European Champions League, UEFA Champions League, much higher pressure level. But what's the difference? Anybody that knows CONCACAF, what's the first thing that we tend to talk about when we talk about the differences between CONCACAF and the rest of the world? Or CONCACAF in Europe, at the very least. Not CONCACAF in South America, because South America gets crazy, too. Crazier sometimes. But when you ask... <clears throat> When you ask a European player to walk into MLS, find his legs, get adjusted, learn how to play within the system of of the team and the league, because those things are are hard, no matter how good relative the league is to any other league that they've played in, it's always an adjustment period. There's really... uh, The LA Galaxy down in San Pedro Sula. I'm not saying they have to go down there. Oh, that's right. This is all Mexican. The LA Galaxy in Mexico to face whoever they're facing in this tournament, whether it's the the team that they have drawn now or later on in the in the in the tournament, the later rounds, is that the kind of environment that Gerard, De Jong, Cole, Lescott? I mean, is, it, is that the kind of of situation that that they can just handle like no big deal LA Galaxy with Santos Laguna in the quarterfinals of the tournament which I think I knew and then blanked on and that's coming up that's coming up in uh, about a month a little bit more than a month five weeks the LA Galaxy have five weeks before they face Santos Laguna on February 24th that's uh okay, so you better get yourself together. Six four six eight three two thirty nine oh nine is your phone number. If you want to jump in here, Monday edition of the program again. Coming out of a very interesting weekend, coming out of the events of the MLS Super Draft on Thursday, the NWSL draft on Friday, which by the way, the NWSL mandated that all their teams take the full allotted time to make their picks. Which completely ruined my plans for Sirius XM's show on Friday. We were supposed to have Tom Sermani. I was really looking forward to that discussion with Tom Sermani. And I didn't get to have it because the NWSL draft went forever. Forever. All right. Um, the other thing that, that they came up on Friday that's certainly worth the discussion is some of the, uh, some of the chat I had with Tab Ramos. Now you may not have heard the entire chat with Tab Ramos, but it was, it was pretty interesting. I did not get, and I, and I failed on this front, and my apologies to everybody with an interest in this. I did not get to the birth year change for you soccer. And there's some really good information. I believe, well, Bo Durr is the man in charge, well, not in charge, but the man at the forefront of addressing this change and addressing what it means. And, uh, trying to explain to people that at some of the lower, uh, the lowest levels of the game, the youngest levels of the game, it's not necessarily mandated that, that they follow this change. And I'll, I'll defer to Bo. In fact, we should probably get Bo. Trevor, can we write this down? We should probably get Bo on the show to go through what this means. Just to talk about it a bit. And what, and whether or not Tab Ramos and U.S. Soccer have done a good enough job communicating it this is this i know this isn't professional soccer and this isn't even necessarily about development uh, at the top level it is but it's it's more of a tangential thing i but i think that for the millions upon millions of kids who are playing soccer in this country it's a big deal this year uh, this birth year change so we should absolutely take a look at it also bo had uh on twitter this morning uh, the story about the new laws for the game that uh, are coming. Maybe you didn't hear this, and this has been uh, a week now, we, a little bit more than a week since they uh, announced these changes. And I, and I, I sort of uh, very, very, very briefly addressed them um, before, but we can go over them again. 
because again, I don't think they're getting a lot of attention. Sending players off for pre-match fights, permitting the ball to go in any direction at kickoff, allowing more players to be treated on the field, stopping teams benefiting from players being punished. These are just a few of the innovations contained in the rewritten laws of the game overhauled by soccer's rulemakers in an attempt to remove inconsistencies and make them more user-friendly. A 22,000-word document has been cut to 12,000 words over the last 18 months. The new laws were approved by the International Football Association Board in London this week. This is January 9th, by the way. Will be ratified by the body's March meeting and will be enforced for the European Championship in June. So, again, uh, you have... um, uh, the current law says the ball must go forward at kickoff and players have to be in their own half. The rule is being changed to allow the ball to go in any direction at kickoff as long as it moves. Citing a fight in the tunnel between Patrick Vieira and Roy Keane before an Arsenal match, Arsenal Manchester United match in 2005. <laughs> what? We're going back 10 years for this. Um, they've highlighted how they uh, could not have been sent off in the event of a full-scale fight. The laws were written at a time before it was custom for teams to line up next to each other in the tunnel before kickoff. So they've adjusted this. So now if you fight in the tunnel before the game, you can be sent off well before you ever step foot on the field. Fascinating? I, I don't know. Uh, let's see. Um, if a player is injured from a challenge which is punished by a red or yellow card, he can have quick treatment on the field of play and does not have to leave. <clears throat> it always seemed unfair that the victim team was down to 10 men and the guilty team has 11 versus 10. Well, if there's a red card, that's not true. But if there's a yellow card, yes. So basically what he's saying is, and I think that's pretty clear, is if uh, if a player commits a yellow card tackle that injures the other player, there's treatment on the field rather than the injured player coming off, again, giving an advantage to the team that just committed the foul. There you go. If a player goes off to change his boots at the moment he has to wait until the game is stopped and the referee has to go and <coughs> excuse me, check his boots before he can play again. Now we were saying his boots or whatever can be checked by the fourth official, the assistant referee, and the player can come back in during play. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> My voice is not cooperating today. My apologies. Two players go off the field to play. One tries to get back on the uh, on to play the ball, and the other one grabs him off the field to, of play and to stop him going back on. <laughs> At the moment, the referee gives a red or yellow card and restops, restarts with a drop ball, which is clearly wrong. So we will be giving a free kick on the touchline or the goal line. If it's inside the penalty area, it can be a penalty kick. If a non-playing substitute at the moment comes on and dives and stops the goal, it's an indirect free kick. And then there is the unlikely but not unforeseen situation in which a team physician comes onto the field during play. If the doctor does it, it's a drop ball, which again is wrong for football. Their team benefits from breaking the law, so they will become direct free kicks or penalty kicks. So we can have a penalty. This is never going. I hope this never happens. I really do. But we have a penalty because the doctor comes on when he's not supposed to. That would be amazing. I, I, I sort of want that to happen now. Like the team doctor runs on the field. We could have a penalty kick from that? That's what? Yeah. Uh, Adam on Twitter, will there be a Champions League, CONCACAF Champions League pre-show? You should get a Mexican League expert on the show and break down each of the matchups. We will uh, keep that in mind. Adam, it's a very good idea. Uh, we certainly know a lot of Mexican League experts who can go over that stuff. I'm sure we'll be heavily focused on those matchups as they get closer. There you go. All right, you guys don't want to call. You're all taking your holiday very seriously. That's okay. We'll wrap this up uh, right now, this uh, this edition of Soccer Morning on a Monday. Again, Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. Uh, of course, to celebrate that whatever uh, way you, fe- you deem necessary or, or important. Um, uh, I've got my son here. He's off from school. So we're going to, you know, we're going to hang out. Daddy's going to work and then we're going to do whatever we need to do to, to educate today. Also, um, also, uh, you know, keep in mind 
that Soccer Morning can always use your assistance and help and, and uh, support in whatever way uh, w- whatever ways are out there, including iTunes reviews and all that kind of stuff. You can follow us on Twitter at Soccer Morning. I haven't hit on that in quite some time. What else? Uh, what else can I tell the people to, to do for us to help or to spread the word? I mean, b- bottom line, spread the word. Go, go tell people that Soccer Morning exists. We've been on the air, you know, internet air for three years. Are we coming up on three years? That's not possible. I think our three-year anniversary is in a couple of months. So, yeah, go spread the word. Let people know. Uh, that's it, right? We're, we're done. Anything else? Trevor? Trevor? Oh, wait, hold on a second. There's a call just now as I'm getting ready to, uh, to cut us off. Should we take the call? Or are you already done? <laughs> I can take the call on screen. Let's, let's take the call on screen for the fun of it. 803, you're on the air. I was listening, sitting at my desk, watching the show online, and uh, I got worried when nobody was calling. Oh, so I did have a question. Don't get worried. It's okay. You know, I don't, <laughs> I don't feel, I don't feel like nobody likes me or anything like that. I'm not, you know, I'm not, and my self-esteem can handle it. What, what's, who, first of all, what, what's your name? Uh, Ben. Okay, Ben, what's your question? Calling from, uh, well, I uh, listened to some of your shows over the holidays, and, uh, as I was traveling around, and you mentioned about expansion one day, so so here's my question slash dilemma. Okay. I uh, I live in South Carolina. Okay. Uh, I'm an MLS. I'm an MLS fan. The last few years because I don't really have a local team. So in the meantime, I've just watched the league, watched it grow, enjoyed the league. So 17 is going to bring Atlanta, which is about three hours away. Okay. But you mentioned possibly in the future Charlotte which is about an hour and a half away, could end up with a team. So sure. I'm torn. Do I just sit on the sidelines and wait? Yeah, that's tough. What should I do? What's the advice? Uh, you know, this is good. It's a good question, Ben. It's not something I have considered, although it's uh, it's very obvious. There are a lot of, going to be a lot of soccer fans in this country uh, who may be inclined to MLS but sort of don't know if they should commit because something else might change. In fact, I have a perfect example. I'm going to call him out. I'm not sure he's going to like it too much, but I got a friend in Atlanta. His name is Jason Longshore. He works for uh, Soccer in the Streets. It's a great program down there. Uh, they're they're partnering with Atlanta United. They're doing all this cool stuff. He's going to be an Atlanta United fan. I know this for a fact. He's already part of the board, the leadership of the Terminus Legion, the supporters group. But I also know for a fact that the man's been a DC United fan since 1996. So, you know, what does he do? He He adopted United because there was no Atlanta team, obviously. Right. Now there's right. an Atlanta team, and he's got to switch. And I think it's up to you, Ben, to decide. Now you don't live in Charlotte, and you don't live, you know, you don't live in it in the city the way he does. That's going to get the team. You live sort of between them, although, like you right. said, closer to Charlotte. You have to decide if you if you are anxious to be a fan of somebody. Meaning, let's you know, go ahead and adopt East, uh, Atlanta. That's that's a year away. I think you can. You know, watch the league for one more season and then jump on the Atlanta bandwagon if you want. Or if you value your, where do you live again? South Carolina, right? If you value, yep. you, if you value your Carolina roots to the point of that pride is over, is going to overwhelm anything you could connect yourself with Atlanta. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. you, you have to decide deep in your soccer fan soul whether you can give yourself over to Atlanta United completely or if that day that Charlotte gets a team, if they get a team, and that's the thing, you are playing, you know, the odds here. You don't know for sure. But the day they get the team, if you're going to find yourself saying, well, I can't be a Atlanta United fan anymore, Charlotte's got a team. What do you think is going to happen? You know, I, I don't know. I mean, I look back in my sports roots history, and I've got the Atlanta Braves, which I've liked from ever since I can remember my grandfather watching. Okay. So I've got that type of Atlanta connection, but, you know, you can break it down to easier to get to will be Charlotte. So, well, again, well, it's, you know what? it's tough because when, when I commit, it's going to be all in. Yeah, you know so. what's what's interesting, and, I, and I've talked about this with, with Atlanta coming into MLS. Having spent some time in the South in my youth, um, I certainly understand the whole – the Braves were the team of the South. There was no other, there was no other team at the time, for one thing, but it, you know, Atlanta was the biggest city in the region by a, by a good margin. And there was always, yep. there was always TBS spreading the, the gospel of the Braves across the region. So 
I, you know, I lived in Alabama. Every one of them Braves fans. I lived in Louisiana. Louisiana, I think there were maybe even, uh, I guess the Rangers were closer, but even there, probably some Braves fans. I lived, uh, in Virginia and there's plenty of Braves fans here, even though, you know, there are closer teams. So I could, uh, I, I could see Atlanta becoming that team for soccer. But then again, as you said, there's always the possibility that Charlotte gets a team or, you know, yep. I don't know. Birmingham could pop up one day and be a, a dark horse and get a team or something like that. That's not, that's not probably not for you. That doesn't matter. But for a lot of people who are in Alabama or Mississippi or or the Panhandle, that that could be the team that they latch onto. So I don't know. Well, and, and to make it more difficult, I think Atlanta just recently partnered up with uh, the Charleston Battery. They did as their USL team. So that that you know that makes it even more makes it a tougher decision. Sure does. I I, I don't envy your yeah. choice, Ben. But uh, hey, at least you got options. You know, at a least choice. you got options, <laughs> right? You, you you either again you either jump on that Atlanta thing right now and have some fun with it, and and I, I would advocate for sticking with whoever you choose because you're again you're not oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. you're not yeah. in Atlanta, you're not in Charlotte. So um, I don't know. I, I mean, I wish you best of luck, Ben. Yeah. All right, appreciate it. Thanks. I did not give that man an answer at all, but there you go. All right, that's a good way to wrap up this um, uh, wrap up this edition uh, of Soccer Morning here on, uh, on on WorldSoccerTalk.com. We'll be back tomorrow. Let me start the music over again, and that way we can go ahead and roll out. All right, I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Big Tuesday edition of the program. See you then. Bye.